Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome. Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Welcome, dear listener. This is Paul Walker, your co-host of the podcast, and uh, I regret to inform you that your other co-host, the beloved Shauna Bourne, is not here to join us for this exciting conversation about the Holy Spirit that empowers us to partner in God's work of reconciling all things. Uh, Shauna sends her regrets, but she did give me the go-ahead. She said, we got to record this podcast, so do it. So I reluctantly agreed, dear listening audience. Well, if you're tuning in, you probably have some curiosity about this statement, and it's rooted in our Statements of Renovation or Statements of Reformation series that we're currently doing on the podcast. I'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to part one with Megan, that podcast, my friends, is fire. So I'd encourage you to to give it a listen, hit pause to this one, and come back to us because it'll lay the groundwork in important ways. Well, with me today, I have two exciting guests who are going to fill the airwaves with joy and humor and probably a bit of challenge at some points. <laughs> so the first guest I have joining me today is Tanya Harris. She is a pastor, speaker, author, a practical theologian, and the founding director of God's Conversations, a global ministry that equips people to recognize and respond to God's voice. She's also a recent author, and you should check out her book, The Church Who Heals. God's voice. Tanya, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Paul. We also have one more guest, and I, I should do introductions here because this guest, man, like in some ways, just an inspiration, like a boss to me, really. <laughs> I'm just, uh, but with me today, I have Adam Dyer, who is the leader of Yeovil Community Church, a leader on staff there. He's also a part of our Jesus Collective core leadership team and is really giving a lot of energy uh, towards leading strategically, planning, giving voice and vision to our discernment piece around that. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. And you, Tanya. Great to be with you too. All across the globe. Thank you. So I should give context to that comment because here I am in old Winnipeg, Canada, and my guests are joining me from around the world. Tanya, Adam, where are you coming from today? Um, I'm from Sydney, Australia. So it's the beginning of the day over here. And I'm from Somerset, England, and it's the end of the day here. This <laughs> seriously, guys, I, I, this took so long to plan. <laughs> this is so difficult to find a time that worked for the three of us. That meant one of us wasn't up at three a.m. So, well done. We made it. Yeah. We did. And I would say the way it came together, perhaps the work of the spirit was in that. Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. So you guys know each other, and that's kind of cool. Where do you guys know each other from? Well, from Jesus Collective, right? <gasps> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, like, we actually um, met at the conference, the Unite conference back conference. in May 22. Yeah. So ended up at um, the same hotel and chatting about the same areas on our hearts. So. Yeah. A bit of God, bit of us, bit of yeah. Jesus Collective. 
<laughs> and then Tony was over in the UK at a conference over here. We connected up again there. And uh, yeah, we, we just enjoy hanging out with each other. Mm. Isn't that a wonderful thing that happens in the Jesus Collective? Like the most unlikely people get together and you're like the best of friends. It's, it's just great. It's just great. Yeah. Amazing. Well, we're, we're going to get into our statement of renovation today. And here's the statement again. The Holy Spirit empowers us to partner in God's work of reconciling all things. That's a pretty loaded statement. It's saying a lot. And I think what's helpful for our listening audience is to understand that this statement really has two big parts. The first part is talking about the Holy Spirit that empowers us to partner. And then the second part of the question or the statement really is the work of reconciling all things. And those are some saying a lot of huge things. Maybe you're listening for the first time and you're like, man, what is that actually saying? Well, we hope to unpack that. We hope to put meat on those bones today. Um, and so just briefly, I, before we get into like kind of really drilling down the surface, when I emailed you folks, what was your first initial reaction at reading those statements? What kind of like prompted in your, in your head, in your heart, as, as you heard this line, the Holy Spirit empowers us uh, to partner in God's work of reconciling all things? Can I, can I tell you honestly what, what I thought? I, I like time? honesty here. Yeah, good. So I was, the first time I heard this, I was actually in a meeting with Megan and she was kind of, we were scoping some of this out in the theology circle and um, she was she was pitching some of these and I was like, yeah, no, we like that. And we did a little bit of refining down and stuff. And then I was in another conversation with Megan a little bit after that and these stuff, this stuff came back. And, she, and, and when I got to this one, my genuine first thought was, Oh, good. Tanya will be happy. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> there is a bit of that. At Unite, we were having a conversation going, man, do you know what? I love Jesus Collective, but like, we just need to make sure like the, the spirit, the prophetic, like the, we need to make sure that stuff like is, is in there and, and like it is recognized and is seen and whatever. So like Megan comes up with these things. I'm going, man, yeah, Tanya's going to be so happy with it. <laughs> That's great. So, so let's just pause me. there. Tanya, you received the statement. I mean, this is a real time on the ground reporting here. This is like leading edge. Can you, can you confirm or deny Adam's suspicion? <laughs> well, to give this context, can I give you a bit of backstory? Let's hear it. How did I, how I came to be um, part of the Jesus Collective, basically. And I see this happening globally. I see people coming from all different angles and arriving in the same place, the same Jesus-centred perspective. So my work has been with Holy Spirit for 30 years in ministry, teaching people how to hear God's voice, and then more recently doing a PhD in the theology and practice of hearing God's voice. The upshot of all of that is I discovered that this area is very neglected in Protestant theology. And then more than that, that the spirit has lost its integral connection to Jesus. Mm. Well, what, for example, what sort of things does the Holy Spirit talk about? You know, what, what sort of things does the Holy Spirit do? We can't have a clear understanding of that unless we understand that Jesus said, I've got to go. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you all, but 
don't worry, it's going to be better that I go because if I go, I'll send you my spirit. My spirit will continue to do what I've started. I'm going to remind you of everything I've said and then I'm going to speak to you about things to come, i.e. I'm going to take what has been established through the incarnation, through the uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through that body of truth, the pathway to salvation, the nature of what God is like, the truth of what the kingdom looks like. I'm going to take that and then I'm going to speak to you about what that looks like in your context as you go on your mission to go into the world and continue what Jesus started. So the pathway for me to the Jesus Collective, what does Christianity look like? Mm. It looks like Jesus. So that means every expression of the Spirit is going to look like Jesus. And so when I saw the statement, I'm like, there it is. We've got to drive that in because, mm. because the only way we know what the Spirit says and does really in a concrete way is through what Jesus came to teach and show us. That's our blueprint. That's our template, our starting point, if you like. Yeah. So that's what kind of brought me here. And amen to Marker 4. So <laughs> love it. Well, that's so good. I think like we're going to come back to that because that really drills in kind of where we're going to go when we talk about this Holy Spirit segment. So, but I can confirm you were pretty happy to read that. You're like, yes, this is why Absolutely. I'm here in the first place. Absolutely. Fly so the flag. Good. Yeah, fly the flag. And I, I will say, as someone that was born and raised like Pentecostal, that being me, I was also excited. I was like, here we go. I was ready for a dance party. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone else does that too, right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into some of uh, kind of driving in and unpacking this statement. And what I'd love to do now is just talk about the second half of, this, of the statement, and then we'll come back to the deep pneumatology, Holy Spirit, um, uh, questions that we'll have there. So my first kind of direction I want to go with this again, the second half of the statement is God's work of reconciling all things. And I think the question I want to give to both of you, so feel free to respond however you would like is how do you understand God's work of reconciliation? What, what is triggered when you hear this word reconciliation? Yeah, for me, it's, it's a really exciting it's a really exciting word for me because it, you know, I think for, for large, I was brought up evangelical Christian. My dad was a church leader and, you know, I was a good kid and, you know, followed all the rules and checked myself off against 10 commandments every now and again and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, but the whole thing was about getting to heaven. And, um, you know, this was all this, the earth was fine, but it's not really where we belonged the whole the whole point of my faith was that I would go to heaven when I died. And I had some real issues with that as a teenager because I kind of look around church and go, seriously, this it's gonna be like this forever. Like I don't I don't know if I can put up with that. Like and then I kind of go, I must be really bad for not wanting to be in heaven. Like so I had all that angst. And then a few things happened for me. Um firstly there were some key moments around my late teens, early twenties where I really came to understand what what the role of the Holy Spirit was, that I, that the Holy Spirit was in me and through me, that I was engaged in partnership here. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was a, there was a key verse that I came across. I was reading my Bible. This is probably in my early thirties. I was reading my Bible and I was reading that very famous verse, Romans eight twenty eight, for God works all things for good for those who love him. Right. We've all heard, and we've all had gone through some difficult times and someone's come at us with that verse and we just want to punch him because now's not the time. Like, and, <laughs> 
Like, very pastoral, very pastoral. Yeah. Very pastoral. You know, we, we get it. Oh, you know, it's all right. God's going to work. God works all things for good for those who love him. And you're like, mm, yeah, right. Anyway, I was reading this one day and I saw this little footnote, bottom of, little letter next to it. And I went to the bottom of the Bible and it said, alternative translation, God works together with those who love him to bring good in all situations. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's more exciting. Like, that's a bigger gospel. Because one of those gospels more is active. Right. One of those is a gospel of privilege. I'm special. God's going to make sure everything works out nicely for me. I mean, great, but it's small, right? How small is that? God's inviting me to participate in turning everything into good, hmm. in the reconciliation of all things. Yeah. Like, that's an expansive gospel. Like, and so for me, like, I think my understanding of Christianity for a while now has been this should be good news for everybody. Like, this is good news for everybody. Like, again, I was like, this is really good news for a few and really bad news for everyone else. Like, but this is actually really good news for everyone because whole communities are going to be transformed. All things are going to be reconciled. When, when God, when Jesus is revealed in his fullness, all things will be restored, reconciled, all people, all creation, all things, all animals, all aspects of nature, all aspects of creation, all things will be restored and reconciled to Christ. And this isn't just, oh, one day it's going to be amazing because Jesus come and fix it. He invites us to participate in mm. that he invites us to work with him now to the moving of all things towards that. So we as a church, we I mean, we do that. We do that stuff because we actually recognize that if, if, we're, if God's involved in our community and God is involved in our community because we, the children of God, the inhabited by the Holy Spirit, are involved in our community, then our whole community will be better off for that. And so whether that's working with families who are in crisis or homeless people and, or people who are struggling with addiction or people who are struggling with loneliness or young people or elderly or whether it's refugees, whether it, whatever, the, whatever the issue, when we work with all of those um, people, they, our church is busier. Like we always say Sunday's our quietest day of the week. And we're, you know, we're kind of a I, I don't think there's a lot of churches, Adam, that can say that. But like Sunday, we just get to hang out and worship God. And I love that. Together. Like the rest of the week, we are packed full of our community. Like we haven't got enough room. And, and because we're seeing, the, we are just doing small pieces of the reconciliation of all things. Yeah. And, you know, the kingdom of God isn't brought about by big sweeping actions and big dramatic things. It's brought about one act of love at a time. Hmm. And we get to be the agitators of that love the activists mm. of that love we get to be the people who have those conversations who take the time to sit and listen who see the beauty in someone and carry hope for someone when they can't carry it for themselves mm. like we get to be the people who go that mile and go the extra journey and so for me reconciliation of all things is something i hope for and i'm excited about and it's something i participate in right now and our whole church does our, the whole church does that's what mm. we're called there's so much I want to just appreciate there and we're going to move to Tanny in just one second but I'll just say like a couple observations Adam is one you have a, a really a big version of the gospel it's not this this gospel that's how to go to heaven when you die it's on earth as it is in heaven it's the kingdom coming it's so I appreciate that I just I want to just name that right now and I will say the next thing I 
I, I just so appreciate is when you describe this, both the big vision, but the little actions. And I, yeah. I think as a church leader myself, I can sometimes get a bit overwhelmed like, oh man, Jesus, you're going to have to come back and do it all because I don't know where to start. And yet when you, when you share those like little like kind of pieces, it reminds me that Jesus says that the kingdom comes in things like yeast and like as small as a seed, a mustard seed, like these small things that begin, begin great acts and, and that, that Jesus is inviting us into this big vision. So that's so good. I just want to celebrate that. Uh, so thanks for priming the pump there. We're now going to throw it over to Tanya and, and ask the same question. Like, how do you understand God's work of reconciliation in the wor- world? What, what's, what images, what's, uh, you know, scripture verses even, like what's coming to mind as you hear this? I, I don't think I can add much to that, Paul. I think what Adam said was magnificent and 100% mm. um, you know, agree with that. I think perhaps the, the language I have used is what you've just mentioned, your kingdom come on mm. earth as it is in heaven. And it's so important to frame the work of the Spirit in, an, in a person's life um, with this framework that Adam's just described, with the big picture. Mm. I think of, um, I, I love the the term partnership. Jesus said, I've come to call you friends, not servants. So first of all, there's a basis for relationship that's very real. It's a a, human God relationship that's based on love and um, submission. But then from that, we're invited into partnership to work with God to bring God's kingdom from heaven to so the work of the Spirit should be understood, I think, in terms of those dynamics, beginning with relationship, which is mm. that whole concept of being born again, obviously, and salvation. But then that goes becomes a part of a, of a partnership by which we work together. We understand, first of all, God's heart for the world and His purpose. That happens mm. through work of the Spirit as God changes our hearts. And then Holy Spirit speaks and works with us to describe what that partnership looks like for an individual or a group of people. So that's where the revelation comes in, the empowerment comes in. We don't actually do the change, but we are actively engaged with the reconciliation. Holy Spirit is the senior partner, but it requires that dynamic, that two-way dynamic to bring reconciliation. Yeah, I think it, I, go ahead, Adam. I, I agree with that. And it's just that, you know, so often our approach to the gospel and our approach to the Holy Spirit is one of privilege. We we were sold a gospel of privilege. God's going to make everything great for you. The Holy Spirit, you know, he's going to give you these warm, fuzzy feelings when you're worshiping and he's going to, um, he's going to heal you if you're sick and he's going to, he's going to do all these amazing things for you. Like that's why you get filled with the Holy Spirit. They might even, you know, give you, let you speak in tongues. It's like, if you really love and like a gospel of personal encounter right a gospel yeah. of privilege and yeah. actually actually what tanya and i are both talking about is a gospel of participation mm. so that's the because it's the spirit in us and through us i heard this i heard this statistic once and i haven't been to check it but they, it sounds kind of true i think there were 40 miracles in the book of acts and 39 of them happened outside the church walls so mm. we should be aiming for some sort of similar ratio like, but we kind of want all the miracles to happen inside the church walls. Like, come to our, come into our building, and we will pray for you, and then there might be a miracle. Like, when actually, the the model that we have 
is one of participation that that disperses the power of God disperses fr- like through us out from us into reaches into the margins reach, reaches all across our whole community and because it's a gospel of participation not privilege and we kind of need to wean ourselves off that privilege mentality like this is I'm the end product here I'm the, mm. I'm the main recipient I'm the main like beneficiary of of this gospel to I'm the carrier of the power of God of the person of God I'm the I'm 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 invited to co-create and and work in harmony with the spirit to bring about God's purposes all all around me like it's a much more exciting story but it, I become a I become a pipe not a cup mm. maybe try that language they like, and again, we kind of go, oh, well, I'll be filled with the Spirit. And when I'm full of the Spirit, I might overflow and a few people might get splashed a little bit. Like when actually, I think we're designed to be pipes of the Spirit. Like we're supposed to be conduits of the Spirit. It's supposed to be flowing through us. And the only way you keep a pipe full is that you keep it connected to the source because it just keeps flowing through you. And that, to me, is how we bring about this reconciliation of all things, just allowing the Spirit to keep flowing through us. So for starters, I'm going to have to cancel that tent rental on my tent revival. Got that. I'm not going to do that this summer. Uh, I, so I love this vision, this big unpacking of a participatory reconciliation, like this healing of all that has gone awry. Uh, the thing that I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is like the statement that I think is really challenging in this second part is the word, two words, all things. Cause that calls me to like a different imagination than sort of a, a, a private revival service. And I wonder like, do we even have the capacity for like all things like economic Injustice, like interpersonal, international dysfunctions. Like, I'm curious what you hear in all things. Cause, like, it, it comes, I'm gonna guess, I wasn't there when the theology circle formed this, but like this language of 1 Corinthians 15, where it's, it's that all things will be reconciled through Jesus, that, that all things, like all powers, all structures. And I'm curious, like, where are you seeing that? Do you, do you get the, the, the expansiveness? Do you get the tension I'm naming? Feel free, Tanya, perhaps I'll get you to, to, to weigh in first. I think it comes back to, was it marker three, uh, the way to overcome evil? If you think about the opposite of reconciliation, it's where God's holistic purpose for the world has been broken down by evil and therefore the purpose of the Christian through the work of the Holy Spirit is to come in and to reconcile those things in every aspect of God's good creation, right down from a macro level to a micro level. I think it's also really important to include ourselves in those things. So Mm. reconciliation with myself, evil and sin in my own heart begins with a process of sanctification. And as I do that, as I'm following the work of the Spirit, as I'm responding to Holy Spirit, then I'm being transformed into the likeness of God that compels me then to be on mission in the process of reconciliation, to care about the world. And the sphere in which I find myself will be dependent on the calling on my life. I think God created us for purpose. We are God's workmanship, created for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And that looks different for everybody according to the grace that's on our lives uh, and, and a different sphere that we may be in. So 
following the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, responding to the Spirit will ultimately lead us into that place. And that frames personal encounter in terms of Jesus's ministry and mission. So, you know, the fuzzy feeling that I have on a Sunday yeah. or the moment of the tent revival or whatever that might look oh, like. The I can still book that tent revival. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if... Um, yeah, that's that 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 needs to be understood again in terms of the work of Jesus, yeah. what Jesus came to do and, and and demonstrate. And when I understand that, and that involves trans- transformation, change, and mission, then it's going to actually move us towards the goal of reconciliation. Yeah, of all things, everything you talked about, Paul, is. Um, and you use some really good language. I love the fact that you use the word imagination. I'll come back to that in a minute. But this, the disconnection of everything, mm. we actually yeah. is is the thing that is being undone. Is the thing that Jesus is addressing. So the the fall that we see in Genesis tells us a much bigger picture than the one we've tended to believe. Mm. Like the problem that we were present all presented with, I guess. Sunday school or whatever was this is disconnection between you and God. This is like you're on one side of the cliff and God's on the other side of the cliff and you need the cross to cross it, which is all true. But actually we see we see it, there is a disconnection between them and God, Adam and Eve and God, because they hide from God. So that absolutely testifies there's a disconnection between us and God. But there's also a disconnection between themselves. Before them, there was no shame, and now there's shame. Mm. They, they, they blame each other. They point the finger at each other. They cover themselves up because they hide from each other. There's, there's a disconnection in their relationships. There's a disconnection within themselves because of the shame. and the like. So there's disconnection within us. There's a disconnection in our relationships. There's a disconnection between them and creation. So when God is talking to them about, you know, the, the curse here, the yeah. problem here, this isn't God like going, I'm going to punish you, so now I'm going to make this really difficult. He's going, the consequences of what you've done, is that now, like, and he says to the woman, now your desire is going to be for him and he will rule over you. Like, and we've taken, I've heard people use that to go, you see, that's why men are in charge. Like it was God's plan B and it's like, it's terrible theology. That, that is yeah. terrible theology. And and if they terrible do want to name that, I will like, say they, they have to name, they have to name that Jesus's like job is to undo the work of the fall. So even right. if they do name that, it's like, great. So right. what's Jesus going to do about that? Yeah. yeah. And what he's saying, what actually he's saying there is all your relationships now are going to be about power. Oh, like, yeah. Power has come into every relational dynamic you have and it's going to be, and it's fallen power. So it's going to be a problem. So here's how to navigate some of that. And also your relationship with creation yeah. is connected, is broken, is fractured. So the reconciliation that we had talked about in the New Testament is a is a hopeful response to the the fallenness that we see right at the beginning in, in Genesis. And the reconciliation has to be bigger than the fall. Mm. Like it's not like Jesus is going, that fall was a big problem. You know, I, can, I reckon I can clear up about 70% of it. Like, <laughs> he's, he's Jesus, right? He's, like, he's, he's overcoming it all. Like, mm. and, and the reason I like, like the, reason, the fact that you use the word imagination is because the limitations on what that means are all within us. Mm. Yeah. And the failure of imagination. The, the Bible is not unclear or vague where the bible is unclear and vague about a whole bunch of things all things is about as emphatic 
as it can get. It's all the systems. And we need to mention this passing reference here to the systemic sin. Mm. Jesus confronts systemic sin. We have talked for the last 500 years in the church very much about personal sin. But systemic sin is right at the root of the gospel. Jesus actually confronts and calls out systemic sin far more than he calls out personal sin. And so... The, the systemic sin, the sin that is rooted in our systems that leaves people in poverty, that oppresses people, that diminishes people, that dehumanizes people, is all part of the fall and is all part of what's going to be restored and reconciled um, yes. in full. And therefore, we should be confronting those systems in us, in our churches, in our communities, in our nations. We should be confronting those already because that's all part of the partnership that we're called into and the imagination word i like so much is because where we struggle where we start drawing lines and going okay god yeah you should definitely save them but don't i wouldn't i don't think they're going to be saved or i don't think that's going to be saved or i don't think that's going to be restored or redeemed is a failure of imagination Mm. on up because god is so much bigger and the spirit the Holy Spirit that we talk about is the source of the imagination that we are gifted. There is a gift of imagination, I'm convinced, Mm. that the Holy Spirit brings. And when we find barriers, when we start drawing lines going them but not them, Mm. or usually us but not them, then we... That's a failure of imagination. And what we, we then create in ourselves a bypass of grace. Like we put a limit on God's grace. Like God has enough grace for me, but he doesn't have a good enough grace for them. He has enough grace for this situation, but he doesn't have enough grace for that situation. Mm. We become the limiter on and the definer, even in that context of what God's grace is. Grace is, is linked to imagination. Cause if I can imagine, if I can start to imagine why, if you, you know, if you hold a position that is really offensive to me on something, what I, I imagine I don't know what it could be. I don't think I don't know what it could be. Possible. If you hold it, if you hold a subject, if you have an opinion on a subject that's really offensive to me, it's a failure of my imagination. When I utter, oh, I can't imagine. I don't understand how you could possibly got to that position. Mm. It's a higher failure of imagination. And when I have that failure of imagination, I have a bypass of grace. I have no grace to me now. But if I can, if I can allow the spirit to work with me, if I can sit with you and listen to your story. I might understand how you ended up with the opinion that you hold. Hmm. And when I do, now there's all sorts of doors open for grace. Even so if good. you agree profoundly, we have grace. And that, because grace is the work of the Holy Spirit, to come back to Tanya's conversation hmm. on what does the Spirit do in us, it brings grace to us as well. Mm. So we're going to go talk about the Holy Spirit in a second. I just know we want to, like, we're going to get there for sure. <laughs> you can hear Tanya and I both pulling yeah. that way, I guess. <laughs> I, did the same, I did the exact same thing when Megan was doing this. But I think what I want to do as a bridging statement, both to this idea of reconciliation, but also about a poor focus historically that the church has had on the Holy Spirit is to like, just zoom out and ask a big, like kind of meta narrative question. And it's essentially this, like, why do you think we, we have such a diminished gospel? Why is it that the gospel has been very much how to go to heaven when you die? And yet when we read like the teachings of Jesus, 
We see this proclamation of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We see this, this proclamation of, of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit coming to empower for the work of continuing uh, the kingdom of God on earth. Like, where, how did we get to this place where we essentially, to quote N.T. Wright, have a Gnostic gospel instead of a gospel of, of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus at the center. So uh, hopefully there's enough of a connecting piece in there, but I am very curious, Tanya, if you want to take a stab at this. I think it comes down to revelation. You know, I was raised in a, a good church, um, but a church that didn't practice the work of the Holy Spirit, didn't believe the Holy Spirit still speaks today. And I remember I hit the age of 21 and I read the book of Acts and I, I thought to myself, uh, it's all there, kind of in black and white. Why don't we believe this? We believe the Spirit has stopped doing all of these things. Why don't we believe it? Because as a 21-year-old, and I had decided not to go into the theology books because I knew this was controversial, <laughs> and I just thought, you know, I'm going to just take it for what it is. And I, I think part of it is revelation and allowing God to open our eyes because we only see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear, what we've been used to, what is comfortable, what is normal. And psychologically, we stay safe. And therefore, any understanding about what God is like requires revelation. Without a vision, without revelation, we perish, right? So I think perhaps, and and again, revelation is dependent on ready hearts, openness uh, to follow Jesus. So I think at a very ideological perspective, it comes back to that. And a practical perspective, I think bad experiences and poor handling of Holy Spirit issues has really done us a disservice. So if you have a look at the work of the Spirit super broadly in the church over history, it's like a big pendulum swing. It goes one way, we embrace the Holy Spirit, all sorts of things go wrong, we mishandle it, we don't understand it, whatever happens, then we swing back. So I think, um, you know, theology, and a solid understanding is really important, but I do believe it begins with revelation. Do we have eyes to see, ears to hear? I often think about Jesus's parable, parables that he told, and he, you know, the crowd was listening. Some of them got it and some of them didn't, even mm. though he told the same stories. And the ones that got it were the ones that were leaning in, ready to follow. And so I do think it comes down to the posture of our hearts. Um, and then as, the, as we as we take revelation, then we have to sort through some of the junk and some of the baggage that comes with it, the things that have been done in the name of the Spirit, the, the, the stories that we've experienced, the, the disappointment, the confusion. We do need to wade through those things. I think we, we need to not sidestep them we need to stare them down and ask ourselves what is happening here okay so adam same question to you how did we get to this place where we've had really a truncated a minimized gospel that was more concerned about like an escape plan rather than this vision of all things like my goodness all things like that's not in my job description as a pastor. Most of it is like, let's plan the Sunday morning service and do, you know, equip the saints. Uh, all things kind of, I'm like, man, do I need to go get like a new right. degree or something? <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think we, there's that quote, isn't it? That says, you know, God made man in his image and man returned the favor. And I think as you look through history, that there's, there's a lot of truth in that. The gods look like, you know, and, the Babylonian gods are violent and angry. Well, no surprise, because Babylonians are pretty violent and 
and angry and then the Greek gods all sit around on a mountain having sex with each other and chatting well no big surprise <laughs> that's kind of what the Greeks did and then the Romans so true. Like, <laughs> the Romans were like these big gods who like wanted to dominate the earth god of the sky and god of the oceans and god because they wanted to dominate the earth like so their gods reflect and I think mm. and I think if you look at kind of the gods of the age today well we're very individualistic very and how yeah and so I guess it's no surprise that our gospel has kind of followed suit, has fallen into some of those traps. So, we, yeah, I think our gospel does become quite small, quite individualistic. Maybe our evangelism was a bit of a sales pitch. You know, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. Like, you're really special. So it's all right. And God's going to make everything great for you. And if you just say this prayer, then everything's going to work out great. And you go to heaven when you die. And like, it's very individual. And... We have to change the narrative because it's really interesting because we have in our church, a lot of people volunteer a lot of the time. And that's apparently quite rare in churches. There's this kind of. Say, Tell me about it. <laughs> of the people do like do 80% of the work or something. And, and they go, well, you, you seem to flip that because you kind of got like 70, 80% of the people volunteering. So like, how, how have you done that? And my response was generally when I was talking to the church leaders about this, I said, well, we changed the narrative. Like story, the story you live in defines your behavior. Yeah. Mm. So let's let's tell a bigger gospel. Mm. If we tell a bigger gospel of participation, then people start participating. Mm. If we tell if we preach a gospel of privilege, then people expect privilege. Like it's the like they won't want discomfort. And it seems to me that going back to that, you know, we, the gods, God, we make. Oh, I can't remember who it was where I heard this now. They said like God's a projectile. Well, but actually, we make God a projection. We tend to make God a projection of ourselves. So God would save the people we would save, and God would love the people we would love, and God hates the people we would hate, and God's going to do everything the way we think it should be done. And, you know, and someone said, if, if God hasn't disagreed with you or disciplined you in a while, then it might not be God. Like, you need to take a second look, because, like, where's the where's God's challenge coming at you? Um, because we, t- we tend to have God as a projection of ourselves, but actually god's a projectile like god comes in and smashes things apart god disrupts us often through other people like and 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 that there i'd say adam is the work of the spirit right bringing revelation bringing understanding and as leaders of ministries and churches that's our call to then lead and change that narrative and to help people to frame their understanding about how god's kingdom works i think Mm. so i think our role is to tell a bigger story yeah. And maybe we got here by telling too small a story. Yeah. You, you said a line that I thought was so good, Adam. You said the story you live in is the story you live out. And perhaps, yeah, what, yeah. yeah, perhaps what we need to relearn as the church is that the gospel we live in is the gospel we live out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah. So we have as, to tell a big story. As a piece to that, we want to expand our understanding in this, these conversations. Like we're in this series on, on reformation, on renewal. And, and so now we're going to go to the next half of the statement here, or the first half really, which is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to partner. And, and, and I'm actually just really curious, like for some folks, especially here in North America, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the forgotten member of the Trinity. It's like, we, we give a nod to it, but it's like, as far, as far as like an experiential reality, it sometimes escapes us in certain traditions. And I'm actually curious from both of you, maybe I'll start with Hannah, ladies first. Um, what is your experience of discovering the work of the Holy Spirit? 
Like, how did this become something that you're like, my eyes are open, I saw the bigger story? I would say, first of all, that the Holy Spirit, I think, is always at work. We just don't notice or recognize it. And when we don't notice and recognize the work of the Spirit, we can't cooperate fully with what Holy Spirit is doing. So even though it's not articulated very well, God is at work. Um, you know, for me, I hit the age of 21, met a friend at university, and I, I was raised very strongly in a Bible tradition. I memorized whole books of the Bible. We had long exegetical sermons as my diet of, of my whole you know, childhood. And I met this friend, and she talked differently about God to me. She talked about God like he was her next-door neighbor. <laughs> like, oh, this is really different here. What's going on? And then she would say things like, God spoke to me. And I was mm. like, oh, that's that's novel. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you mean? What did God say? And I thought... Oh, how interesting, wouldn't it? I was quite curious. I thought, um, you know, what if the God who knew everything about anything could speak to me? What would God say? So I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, speak to me. And if you make it really clear, none of that kind of fuzzy-wuzzy mystical stuff, I want it to be super clear. And if it's clear, I will do whatever you say. Uh, so that again very dangerous of you (laughs) well I was pretty demanding in my need for clarity you know I'm a skeptic just people talk about you know God said all the time and um, we we realize it's a little bit of a a cover-up sometimes but yeah that changed the story of my life basically and then years later God called me into ministry which was very confusing for me as a woman I'd been raised that that wasn't possible and um, did various things planted a church was involved in theological education missions all the rest of it and then God said um, I want you to take everything you've learned about hearing my voice and pass it on to other people so that that was kind of my journey when I was going through this process, asking lots and lots of questions and realizing that the theological paradigms around me were not sufficient to work out what that looked like. And so that led me into further study, into trying to investigate uh, what this meant, having traveled around, you know, for 15 years now in churches all around the globe. So of all denominations, um, Pentecostal, charismatic, traditional, and listening to what God is doing across the, particularly the Western, the majority Mm. world churches. Um, I, I see those same questions everywhere we go. And I think there's some really clear answers to be found in understanding the spirit through a Jesus-shaped lens. And when we get that, our Christianity is going to look a lot more like Jesus because it will frame, as you say, Adam, the narrative of the gospel will be framed Mm -hmm. in a much healthier, more biblical way, and then the fruit will be much more profound. Mm. That's so beautiful, Tanya. Thanks for sharing that. I'm I'm going to be excited to come back and ask you more follow-up questions just about like dialing in on how the spirit leads us to Jesus and that imagination, that framework. But before we do, let's turn it over to our dear friend, Adam, and ask the question, like, how how did you and the Holy Spirit become friends? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good, really good question. So on one level, I remember being pretty young, like, uh, at latest early teens, probably before that. And I grew up in a church. I grew up in a, I grew up in a fairly conservative evangelical church. My dad was a church leader. I didn't have. I had some great experiences. I had some really not great experiences in my um, with church. But from a pretty young age, I remember like having pictures for people. Hmm. I remember, and this was in a church where this didn't really happen very much. Like I remember 
just knowing stuff about people. I'd be in conversation with people and then I'd know this stuff about them. I go, well, you know, obviously like this. And they go, how the heck do you know that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm 12. I don't know how I know that. Like, it was 12 year olds with words of knowledge. Got it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had those experiences, but I didn't really know what they were. And I didn't, I didn't really understand that, but I kind of knew then then when I got to 18, like the whole world fell apart. Like my dad, you know, had been having an affair for a while. He got thrown out of leaving the church so that we all got thrown out of the church. And like, I, I was in a pretty bad mood with Christians for a while. Um, yeah. My dad as well. He wasn't, didn't get off that scot-free, but, um, but, but I was in a pretty bad mood with Christians for a while. But even though I totally lost faith in Christians and I lost faith in the church, I never lost faith in God. And I sometimes I look back and I go, you know what? That's just God. That's just the Holy Spirit. Like that, because that's a miracle in itself. I totally mm. should have thrown the whole thing out. Like, and I didn't. And like, but then I had this moment with God um, when I was just turning twenty-one, and God said, "I want you to go to Bible college." And I was like, "You're kidding me! Not stand a Sunday morning with Christians? Don't make me go and live with them for a year." Like. <laughs> What the hell? Like that's the worst idea you've ever had. Like that's just not going to happen. And um, and God was really insistent, and we did some negotiating, and God came through on everything, miracle after miracle. So I was like, fine. Like, this is how, how did you negotiate with God? I never win those negotiations. Oh man, I'm just like, well, if we're going to me, do Adam. it, it's going to happen this way, and this time, <laughs> you're going to have to do it. Oh, I'm going to take a leaf out of your book. Yeah, I'm going to try that. And I called the Bible college up. I went, I know, I know you're already full. I know term starts in six weeks' time, but you know, I'm just calling on the off chance, knowing you're going to say no. But you know, I don't, you know, I was just wondering about whether I could come to Bible college this term. And they responded and went, Oh yeah, we've been waiting for your call. God told us you were going to call. We've held a place for you. No. Yeah. You've taken your time. <laughs> Sneakers. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> me. And, oh yeah, no, but like Trump card, I've got no money. They went, Yeah, no, it's a funded place. Just come. And I'm like, I don't believe it. Like, so that stuff, like, but what was really fascinating. That's the key, Paul, just be more would, demanding. I guess, I guess. That, right? <laughs> um, some of my best prayers with God would be my most demanding prayers with God. But um, <laughs> the, um, the what was really fascinating about that is I was, this place was obviously full of people who wanted to go into ministry. And the last thing I wanted to do was go into ministry. And I was going, oh, why are you here? Oh, I want, you know, I want to go to ministry. I want this career. I want to do this. I want to do, I want to be a worship leader. I want to whatever. And I was like, genuinely, I stood up on, they did this for the whole college on day one. I just went, I'm just here to find out how much of everything I've been told is crap. Very bold, Adam. I love it. And the room just goes, oh, right. That's very different. I'm like, yeah. Like, but that was, that was genuinely, I was going, I've been told this stuff. I don't know how much of this stuff's true or not. Cause that, all the people who told me that stuff turned out to be you know, not to live up the standards I held to them. So Adam, Adam, you like deconstructed before it was cool, man. Like you were I'm, all like edgy, questioning your faith before everyone was doing right. it. Thirty years ago, I was just like, man, this whole thing's just falling apart right before my eyes. So what is it? And I and I just dived into the whole thing, just going. And it was at Bible college that I really came to understand mm. that the whole point of Christianity was the Holy Spirit in you and through you. Mm. This was how we lived this out, and. And I was just like, well, man, that's really beautiful and really simple and really complicated. And But I can do that. Like, I can do that and I can mm-hmm. go anywhere. 
one condition, God. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Just don't make me lead a church. Oh, here we go. One of my less successful demanding you prayers. Negotiate that one very well, did you, Adam? <laughs> you see, you see, Tanya, what happened here is I was okay to negotiate on the little stuff, but when it came to the be a church leader, here's here's the calling on your life. It's like ah, I got you in a double bind. You're yeah. you're stuck yeah. now. <laughs> God pulled rank. Yeah, I, I bet you very few of our listeners that tuned in today thought they were going to walk away with the profound lesson that God is a gambler and always wins. <laughs> Free will. Yeah. He knows how to hold them. He knows how to fold them. Uh, yeah. So let's move on on this. Cause here we are like talking about the Holy spirit. And just before we ask some more like follow-up questions about like, how do you make it not go crazy? And, and why do we, why do we do this? Or how do we make space for this? I want to ask the question, like here we are the Jesus collective some of our audience might be surprised. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Like, why, why is it that this matters to us? Why does being Jesus-centered also mean making space for the Spirit? Because Adam, like your last comments, like you discover that the gospel really is about the Spirit in you and through you. And there's this big vision, this big narrative, but how did we get there that to, you know, name ourselves as Jesus Collective and yet, knowing our our heart of hearts that the spirit needs to be talked about needs to be centered that to be jesus centered is to be uh, open to the spirit how did we get there like why does this matter to each of you okay i'll tell you what how about i answer this one first and i'll give you the like layman's response and then tanya's going to come in with the with the, the real phd <laughs> much better response no, adam we're waiting I want to get my, my average response out of the way first, but it seems to me that one of the defi- another defining moment of my life was when I realized that Jesus was a revelation of what God looks like. Mm. like so yeah. that's a, that's a profound moment. And, and so how, I, and that is a really profound truth and it's one I'm really excited about. I'm still trying to work out today in all the ways that that, that plays out. However, if we just take that as a historic fact, we miss out hmm. on our role as participants. So Jesus is the revelation of what God looks like. But the Spirit is the revelation of God in us, transforming us and renewing us into the likeness of Christ. So it's very possible to go, well, I believe that Jesus is a revelation of God, and we can turn that into a very theological exercise, and we can study all about Jesus, and we can then decide that, therefore, these are the five key principles or the 10 key principles about who Jesus is. And these, these are, these are the theological truths that we're going to adhere to. And we're going to teach and we're going to construct great sermons around them. And we're going to lead great churches around them. And we're going to have all our theology lined up and it do nothing in me. Like it's very possible for the cross to do something for you and do nothing in you. Hmm. And the, the, the doing the cross doing something in us, that's the Holy spirit. That's, that's, and so to have Jesus without the Holy Spirit is to stop the gospel like before the end. Like Jesus goes, I'm the continuation of this. Like, like the gospels are written brilliantly, but Mark, you know, and I know someone came and came along and went, Oh, that doesn't kind of feel finished. So I'm going to add a little bit on, on to the end of that to make it like, Oh, and they all lived happily ever after. So, <laughs> yeah. We like to tie bows on things. It's just tied up with a bow, but that's not, it ends like mm. and it ends on a cliffhanger. 
it ends like a soap opera on a cliffhanger. Like they found the body, do like whatever, or the tomb's empty, and like Jesus has just showed up, and then bang, end of the gospel. It's a the whole point of that is, and so what are you going to do? Mm. So what yeah. you move? What's next? And then we go into Acts, and there's the and Pentecost is this dispersal. You know, Jesus is challenging systems and deconstruct and tearing down temples and like going. You know the the demonic and the religious are in bed together and the demonic and the political are in bed together. And like, I'm here to confront those, those systemic powers and those, all three of those systemic powers and, and social as well. So four, like conspire together to kill Jesus and Jesus is like, but I'm going to tear down your systems and he shuts down the temple and he confronts the systemic sin that's rooted in the temple. But as well as shutting down the temple, he says he stands looking at the Temple Mount just before he does that and says, if you have enough faith, you can say to this mountain to be thrown in the sea and it will happen. Now, a scandalous songs, thing to say. <laughs> right. Because we sing songs about mountains being moved, but in our personal world and our individualistic gospel, those mountains are our problems and that Jesus is going to move them out of the way for us because that's what he does because it's a gospel of privilege. But actually what he's saying is if you have enough faith, you can bring the whole religious system down. Hmm. Like you, and, and what he does is he then decentralizes all the power of the temple and then starts dispersing it. So instead of having to pay for your sacrifices so you can be forgiven, he says, as you forgive, so you'll be forgiven. And instead of having to pay to pray, he goes, whatever you ask for in my name will be given to you. All these things that were the power base of the temple, Jesus starts disempowering and dispersing. And the spirit is the ultimate dispersal. Like the spirit, he goes, now, Pentecost, he goes, now, as I have done, you will go and do greater as I have done, you are now going to go and live this out. I'm going to leave so that you can carry on telling this story. Like, that's the work of the Spirit. To dis disconnect Jesus and the Holy Spirit makes a nonsense of the gospel. Well put, Adam. We're now going to give it now over to our PhD. Yeah, yeah, I think you got a proper answer in. So we're going to give this over to Tanya, our prestigious PhD, Tanya, <laughs> who well, I used to joke I with always... people that like, you're like the Holy Spirit's cousin because I just like, <laughs> I get the radiance off you. It's just fun to hang out with you. And I, I definitely feel like we're a good company. Like I, <laughs> there's this joy of the Lord that you, that you carry with you. So I'm, I'm excited to hear you engage us. So again, the question that we're trying it's to. It's your jokes, Paul, that make the joy come out. You well, know. well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so the question we're trying to feed into is we're the Jesus collective. All of us happen to be partners with this movement. And yet we find ourselves having an emphasis here on the spirit. Why does being Jesus-centered need to logically make space for the Spirit. We heard from Adam on this. What would you add uh, to to this this curiosity? Well, you know, Jesus isn't here. Jesus said, I have to leave. And it's good if I go, because then I'll give you my Spirit. So I guess that's a simple answer to the big question. What does that mean in our lives? A couple of thoughts. You know, I have been teaching about hearing God's voice for many years and I would always talk about how to recognize it, how to discern it. And I would always give the first point standard answer, 
Well, how do we know it's God? Tested against scripture, which is what we all say. But then I realized that's not exactly what we mean because I could have someone come up to me and say, I tested against scripture and God told me to commit genocide, Deuteronomy 7. God told me to marry a prostitute, Hosea 1. God told me to divorce my spouse because they're from a different race, Ezra 10. (laughs) So it's not what we mean. What we mean is we tested against the the revelation of the character and nature of God as seen in scripture, which of course is Jesus, the perfect image of the invisible God. So what does that mean now that the Spirit's with us, continuing the ministry and mission of Jesus? How do I know it's God? Well, I think what um, a good example of what you were saying, Adam, in practical 21st century reality, um, can I share a story? Please do. Okay. A friend of mine, his name is Brian. He lives on a beautiful coastal town in New Zealand. He's a bit of a surfer. He's been surfing all his life, got the bleached blonde hair to prove it. One morning he wakes up. Yeah, yeah, I know. That image is, you can ski, Paul. You know, you're not that far from the ski fields. I suspect he's. The hair is jealous of. It's the hair, but I can't even ski. But there's you just something cover about it with a cover yeah. it with a beanie. There you go. <laughs> okay, so Brian the so surfer. Brian, Brian is one morning he gets up and he hears he hears the Holy Spirit say to him, Brian, I want you to make the bed. Like what? Mm. Make the bed? I don't make the bed, Lisa, my wife. She makes the bed, <laughs> does a really great job of it. Very complicated process. No, you know, so God, no. It's no, curious. No. I, I don't know if he's going to win this argument. Adam might have yeah, won it, but not Brian the surfer. Yeah, maybe Adam needed to be called in as a negotiator. Then, then a conversation ensues, and apparently God's quite adamant. So Brian goes to his wife, Lisa, and says, Honey, I think God's telling me to make the bed. <laughs> and so, of course. Profound. With, Profound. I know. With great yeah. relish, he learns about the pillows and the cushions and the throw rug does a terrible job on the first go a month later he's starting to perfect the making of the bed do you think, year, do you think the spirit helped him like figure out how to make the prob- bed well? probably some empowerment some probably empowerment there. the spirit came and had a word of knowledge he probably was playing a worship song while he did it so <laughs> then so <laughs> then you missed you interrupting my story, Paul. Sorry, it's just well, so much fun. A year, a year passes. A year passes. The Holy Spirit says to him, Brian, I see now you have developed a servant heart. Now I want you to lead the church. He begins leading the church, and miracles start to break out in his town. Gang leaders begin to make a decision to follow Jesus. The stories go beyond the church. The kingdom comes. Reconciliation of all things comes to the town of Kaiakura in New Zealand. And I think how it started was through the revelation of Holy Spirit teaching one man how to be a servant like Jesus. And when we understand the work of the Spirit as the continuing voice and power of Jesus in our 21st century lives, we're going to anticipate that that's what it's going to look like, starting with the transformation, the reconciliation of the sin in our own hearts, becoming more like Jesus, and then being invited into mission to see God's kingdom come in our sphere of influence in our towns. Why do we need the Spirit? Because without that, that doesn't happen. It becomes a behaviour modification program in our churches. We become a community organised around social events. We lose the power of God that has been given to us by Jesus, who said it will be better if I leave. Now, obviously, 
we have a Trinitarian God. The Spirit of mm. the Spirit is consistent with Jesus and often referred to as Spirit of Jesus in 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 the New Testament. But there has to be a link. There has to be a consistency between Jesus and between Holy Spirit. If we lose that, then we lose the beauty of what the kingdom looks like in our lives. Yeah, it it occurs to me like, and we won't make the bed. Yeah, and we won't make the bed. It occurs perhaps, to me that perhaps. That, Perhaps the Lord's convicting you, Paul. Perhaps that's why you're squirming in your office. There. I think I think that's it. Squirming, I am squirming. Yeah, <laughs> it could just be my ADHD medication wearing off. You know, it's the end of the day. <laughs> it occurs to me, Tanya, like as you say that, like it's better for Jesus to go. And then, like I'm chatting with you, you're in Australia, Adam. There you are in England, and, and just even just thinking about this availability of the Spirit, like that the Spirit that Jesus is just as present to a guy named Brian, telling him to make the bed as he is in this moment across continents, and I and I just think like wow, Jesus really knew what he was talking about because there was sort of this like limitation to if you just had physical Jesus, he could walk like three and a half miles an hour, and like that's about it. Yes. Um, I would definitely, I would try to book Jesus for my church if he, you know, if he hadn't left, <laughs> I'd be like, we're definitely bringing him in as a guest speaker. It would be, it'd be great. <laughs> but sold out now, now through the spirit, I guess, I guess, or I should maybe assert it more strongly. The spirit's with us every time we gather, wherever two or three. And I think that's, that's something that I, I scarcely can write, wrap my head around. Okay. So yeah, the whole principle of, Sons and daughters, young and old, the spirit yeah. came on all as opposed to just the special ones, you know. And um, the democratization of the spirit is such a key focus of the New Testament church that we need to be constantly understanding our role as pastors and leaders is to empower the saints, to equip the saints yeah. to hear from the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit, to submit to the work of the spirit, whatever that looks like in their sphere. That's what it means to equip the saints, I think, in the new covenant church it's really interesting isn't it because that you know when tanya says oh jesus said it was better that i leave and you kind of go oh really like like <laughs> totally i'm like no way it's much better if you stay and if you could give us a nice big textbook about what everything should look like if then, that would be really helpful in the early 2000s whatever we're walking around with what would jesus do wristbands and whatever and like we're all just trying to figure it out and like wouldn't it be great if jesus was here and like that's kind of but actually you know one of the things that jesus walked taught like was with, showed, revealed what God is like. But the Spirit is a step on because the Spirit is in us. Like, how, if you look, how how much did the disciples grasp when they were sat with Jesus in his presence, listening to him? Like, they missed the point over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yet those same disciples, after Pentecost, could speak with authority, communicate profound truths, in their letters and in their sermons, that it doesn't seem they were able to communicate before Pentecost. Like, they were pretty much confused. And, mm. like, they kept missing the point. Like, I love that quote in Mark, and, like, Jesus is telling them off again because they don't understand. They're going, oh, man, he's still mad about the bread, isn't he? Like, like because they, they're just going, we don't understand. <laughs> this is about the bread again. Like, you're going to tell us off about the bread again. Like, we thought we, yeah. Like, they just don't get it. Like, and... And yet these same disciples 
post-Pentecost grew and grew and grew in their understanding. Mm-hmm. Like by the time you start seeing their later letters, like wow, like, yeah. like it's this. They're telling a very big gospel. Totally, um, totally. And so, yeah, so I think that you know, the Holy Spirit is a, is. It just in that piece of evidence right there, you go, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit's really important in this. Mm-hmm. I, I think both of you have laid a compelling case for like why we can't ignore the work of the Spirit when it comes to just following Jesus, right? Like, and honestly, we could spend like several more podcasts uh, chatting about that. What, what I want to talk about is, uh, and it kind of shift us on, we've hinted at this a couple of times, but what uniquely does a Jesus-centered sort of work of the spirit do and and maybe to frame this in a different way a lot of people when you begin talking about the holy spirit they start squirming in their seats and they think of every unhealthy toxic story of this evangelist with the tent revival or or that person it's usually a guy you know that guy that's like just touch your hand to the tv he's usually from the south too right uh and just receive the spirit right like there's that tendency where like we're so ticked about the mishandling of it and it's like that can shut us down too and and especially like for those from uh, like an anabaptist tradition which is which some of our jesus centered folk come from certainly there is this like we got to be all about jesus and like maybe we shut ourselves down because we're so concerned about this wild spirit what do you have to say to this like how can we be open to the spirit and yet not immediately kind of shrug our shoulders and be like i guess we'll just allow the crazies to do whatever they want i think when as you're saying that uh paul i think about some of the research i came across about a study in africa about some of the mega prophets in the churches down there and it talked about how they modeled themselves on the prophet elijah And I thought, what a travesty. Why are they modelling themselves on the prophet Elijah? Shouldn't they be modelling themselves on Jesus? And I think, again, part of this is a little bit theological because if I discern the work of the Spirit through the lens of Jesus and not through through the old covenant, which is Scripture, yes, but it's a shadow, it's a glimpse. They looked forward to our time when they could see clearly angels longing to look into this. And then we have the full revelation in in Jesus in a, a technique color, living, breathing word of God in the flesh. The word of God then continues the witness through the spirit. Well, then uh, everything that we express by the Holy Spirit is going to look like Jesus. I mean, even some of the uh, the controversy around the Trump prophecies, um, which you would have heard about in North America. We uh, heard again, about them. The reference point <laughs> you did, right? Again, and and, and again, but the, the reference point was the old covenant. King Cyrus was the model, not Jesus. You know, yeah. Jesus never said to the Apostle Peter, now our strategy for you is for you to get into Tiberius's position as quickly as you can and use whatever, you know, to then bring the kingdom. Yeah. And again, when we when we discern, I think it is theological. I think it, we need to come back to what the Spirit looks like. It looks like Jesus, not the Scriptures, not the Old Covenant, but what the Spirit looks like in Jesus as reliably recorded for us in Scripture, I think, uh, which is part of what Jesus Collective is doing with that marker one. We read Scripture through Jesus' lens. And as I look at some of the ministries in this area, some of the problems um, around it, it comes back to that because the fruit 
of the ministry is going to look like the fruit of the Spirit, how a loving, humility, kindness, joy, hope, all of those measures, and therefore we need to um, apply those measures, which again, very simple, Jesus-like and um, not complicated, doesn't require hermeneutical skills even, doesn't require theology degrees, just requires hearts that follow. Mm, so think, good. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah sure. Go, Adam, you are going to say something. Funny, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And I would, I would give a similar answer in that you just, you know, I think sometimes the, it can look like the Spirit's wild and crazy and dramatic and imposing itself or being imposed on me. Um, the Spirit doesn't impose. My experience of the Spirit is the Spirit is gentle. And the Spirit doesn't impose on anybody but there's this always this invitation there is always a invitation there is always a, a pursuing even but not an imposition and you know what Tony's saying about the old testament and the new testament is absolutely spot on like we we gravitate towards the old testament model of leadership because ultimately this is about power and we we want to translate the spirit into our human models of power and control um, rather than submitting to God's models of power, which is through self-sacrificing love. So um, we in the Old Testament, yes. they had prophets who were the voice of God, who came in to tell people, mm. they, and they were, or, or Moses had to go up the mountain and get the law from God and then come down and tell the people, but don't make us go up the mountain because we'll die. They, and then there were prophets who came in to tell, this is what God says, and you need to... and there's a temptation in the prophetic gifting to go, well, I just need to go and tell them what God said. Like, you know, I just need to go and they, and we find situations. I've seen situations in churches where the, you know, the prophetic are rarely at the center. They tend to gravitate to the edges. And then if you give me, if allow me the pictorial language, they throw in their prophetic hand grenades into the middle and they go off. And then they're surprised that people aren't as excited as they are about whatever that hand grenade was. And then they retreat a bit more to the, a little bit further. So now they need some bigger hand grenades to make the distance into the middle. And they throw some bigger hand grenades into the middle and a little bit angrier. And they, and then they go, oh, you know what? Like this church is rejecting me. They're, they're, they're rejecting, they're resistant to the spirit. I'm on my way out. And there's this division between the, um, the church and the prophetic or, and it's an old Testament model. I have this message from God that I need to come and deliver to you. And it's, there's a bit of power in it. It seems to me that the New Testament model that Jesus introduces us to. And Paul not, definitely talks about it in first Corinthians. Paul talks about it. It's not yeah. one person going up the mountain to hear God for everybody. Mm-hmm. Our role as leaders in the New Testament is to take everyone up the mountain mm-hmm. and hear God together. Yeah. Like, it's done in community. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna that. I'm gonna bring Tanya in here because she has some really great stuff to say. In this and maybe Tanya, I'll get you to kind of address this. I think I read this in your book. This democratization of the spirit—that's a a phrase I've heard you say. But also, just kind of like give us a picture. Like, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to empower a church? What are we saying by this? Like, and, and why is it bigger than, as Adam is giving reference, the man of God throwing hand grenades? 
I, I love that um, concept that you described of the the leader taking everyone up the mountain, Adam, because that's the major shift in the new covenant is that every person can now receive, well, every person receives the Holy Spirit as they decide to follow Jesus. And with that beautiful package comes revelation. God does nothing without first speaking it. So Acts chapter 2 Peter's sermon, the thing that he notes out of all the things that happen on Pentecost is that now young men and old men can have visions and dreams and sons and daughters can prophesy. Um, what does he mean there? Well, visions and dreams was the main mode of revelation for the prophets under the old covenant. They would hear from God in a visual way and then they would prophesy. They would speak it out to the people. But the big shift that happens at Pentecost is now that ability to receive revelation directly from God is now distributed amongst sons and daughters, young and old, every demographic. And it wasn't just a promise for them. It was for you and your children and every generation after that. Um, Paul said. So that shifts the landscape. But So what does the New Testament church look like? It looks like everyone individually having the Spirit and direct communication with God. That's the personal encounter. But the, the other big shift that must then come with that is the role of the community, the role of the church, because you can't have everyone trying to hear from God because we mess it up, we get it wrong, sin and, uh, you know, our attitudes and our desires create that fuzzy filter for us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we don't see clearly. How do we not see clearly? Well, we've got the standard of Jesus, but we actually need the community around us to test our experiences with. And where this doesn't work is where we've lost the impact of the community. I think God is saying, what do you think? And I think we see that modelled in the New Testament church when Peter is on his rooftop hearing God in a funny vision about food. He's hungry. He's waiting for lunch. He falls asleep and he dreams of food. Now, it's not a very nice menu, <laughs> but it's still a little bit obscure. It contradicts everything he's ever known as a Jew. And how does he know it's God? He's confused. Well, God is speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody else over in Caesarea, and God brings Cornelius and Peter together. You know, it's like, what did you see, Peter? What did you hear, Cornelius? And they have a conversation, and they realize, ah, God is speaking. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. And later on, because it's a church-wide issue, the Council of Jerusalem has to get together and they talk about it and they say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Okay. So when the Spirit is moving in a church setting, we cannot lose the element of community. And I think most of the problems happen here when we haven't trained our people to, yeah, they may be hearing God, but are they discerning it? Are they recognising it? Are they testing the spirits to see if they're from God? And then from then, well, how can I help you follow? God's called you to Bible college, Adam. How can I help you go and, you know, thrive in this environment? God's called you to work with the homeless. How can I resource you? How can we do that together? That's what I think it looks like, Paul, in community. The Spirit is leading. The, the leaders facilitate the leading of the Spirit. We don't direct it. I'm not a mediator. I'm not a priest in the old covenant sense. I'm not a prophet in the old covenant sense. My job is to equip the saints to do the think, kingdom work and bring reconciliation. I think there's, Sorry, a really, Dad, there's a really important point to make here as a church leader. I, I'm a visionary church leader. I'm a apostolic church leader. Like that's kind of how I operate. And so I guess some people might expect that as a visionary, what I do is I bring the vision to the church and they all say, yeah, well, that sounds great. Let's do it. 
but that's not how I do vision because I don't think that's certainly for me. That's not how this works. I see my role as a visionary is to hear everyone's vision is to hear everyone's heart is to hear what everyone's hearing from God, everyone's calling maybe in, in the church and then find the language that gives um, clarity, structure, direction to that. So everybody, when we come up with a vision or our vision of, you know, our, our core vision statements as a church. Um, so we have five vision statements as a church. When we, when we came up with those, we did that by here, inviting everyone to bring in all their ideas, driven scriptures, dreams, visions, callings, whatever, passions. And then we did some distilling of that. And when we think is, so if we said these are our five visions, like does that resonate with the church? And that's what I see my role as. So everybody should be able to look at our visions our five vision statements and see themselves and their passion and their vision in at least one of them because they've helped form it. And I think too often as church leaders, we fall into the trap of seeing, of taking on the responsibility to have the entire vision and then sell it to the church or bring it to the church in a way that they'll go, great, let's go do that. And, and that a, because that's probably easier B because actually that's what a lot of times the church wants Tell us the answer, but don't yeah. make us God for ourselves because we'll die. Like, so you tell us what God says, and we promise we'll do whatever God says. Like, that's a more comfortable, that's a more comfortable place often. Like, but actually, the courageous way to lead, the New Testament way to lead, is to have everyone here, everybody hearing God for themselves and bringing that into a collaborative, um, submitting um, of the vision. So good. And I hear, I hear this like need of the community in, in both your responses and, and your engagements, which I think is going to be honestly a challenge to us individualistic type folk. Like I do think there's this, as Tanya, as you're talking about how the spirit is leading us to Jesus and Jesus is leading us to this belonging piece like that. That's huge. That's, that's transformative. Now we're running out of time here. And I knew we wouldn't get to everything today because it's just the nature of these kind of conversations. So I want to ask the question to both of you and try to keep maybe your responses a bit shorter. But the question is this, what would your encouragement be for a person or a church leader who wants to grow in their capacity to make space for the Holy Spirit? And then I'm going to add one more part to this and wants to follow the spirit in partnership in this reconciling of all things, just so we think it's bigger than, you know, have a really good church service. All right. Okay. Firstly, I just want to throw in one little, because before you made a comment about people who maybe have had negative experiences of the spirit, maybe Mm -hmm. being prayed for in a particular way or, or prophesied over in a particular way or whatever, the world's model of doing things is to do stuff to people. Hmm. So it disempowers and it dehumanizes stuff is done to people. Healthcare is done to people. Education is done to people. Like, and, and some, not always, and at its best it's done with people, but sometimes it can be quite disempowering. At its worst, the spirit is done to people, but at its best, it's done with people. And I, I just want to like, the spirit shouldn't ever be imposed because the spirit itself won't impose. So we shouldn't be imposing it either. It's done with, 
it empowers, it meets people, God meets us where we are and and moves us forward. And that's how the spirit works. Now, to come back to this question, what would I say? I would say, go and serve, go and go out into your community and go and hang out with some people. Go to a really boring meeting in your council. Go and sit with some people who are on the streets homeless. Go and spend some time with a family. Go and go and serve in a soup kitchen or in a food bank or go and hear stories because in the margins is where God is. Mm-hmm. And that it's really in our own church buildings, in our own in our own settings, we hold quite a lot of power. And it's hard to hear God when we hold a lot of power. When we encounter Jesus in the other, when we go and sit and listen and submit ourselves to people who are different, people who have different experiences, who have different stories, we encounter God in a different way. We encounter a Jesus that's quite different from the sanitized Jesus we sing about on a Sunday morning. We encounter a spirit in a different way. And and we are disrupted. And and I think we soften ourselves in those situations and we are more able to hear the voice of God in those situations. It's beautiful, Adam. Same question to you, Tanya. Uh, what is your encouragement for a person or church leader that wants to grow in their capacity to join the Holy Spirit in this reconciliation of all things? Love what you said, Adam, because it is about a posture of the heart and about being open to hear what God is saying. Paul prayed, may you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know God better and talked about the eyes of the heart. May our eyes be open. So for for me, it's about a prayer of faith. God speak to me, open my eyes. I want to hear, I want to follow, I want to know, very simple. And perhaps if you want to add, and if you make it clear, I will follow whatever you say (laughs) because um, there's nothing quite like an open heart that's willing to follow to receive revelation unless of course you want to negotiate like adam yeah there's god the gambler (laughs) we can have that conversation afterwards (laughs) i don't think think i ever come out of those well so i wouldn't (laughs) adam you're one of the most godly men i know so you're (laughs) You've obviously got a lot of the spirit working in and through you. Well, it's been a joy to have both of you on the podcast today. And um, as we've just taken some space to, to hear from each other, to discuss this reality of the Holy Spirit, to discuss this work of God in reconciling all things. It's been great to hear from your heart, your input. I have just had a blast hanging out with you guys, and I know our listening audience is also quite thankful. I'm curious, for those that want to find some of your work and connect further, I'm thinking of you, Tanya, specifically, but also you, Adam. Where can people find you online? How can they engage with uh, some of... Uh, what you're laying down these days. <laughs> Godconversations.com. We have a whole range of resources to equip people how to hear God's voice, books and podcasts and videos and blogs or whatever. So that's the first port of call for us. Can we follow you on Twitter at all? Are you on there? 
You know, I'm very often in Twitter, probably more Insta and Facebook. Absolutely. God Conversations, do a search. You'll find us. Awesome. What about you, Adam? Where can we find you online? Well, yeah, Facebook, not so much Insta, but Twitter, Adam YCC. Um, On my, you'll catch up with sermons and stuff on uh, www.yovil.cc. Yovil spelled Y E O V I L, that's our hometown. Um, Or um, you can go on to Amazon and there's a book on there called Unknown What If God's Not Like That? Hmm. So good. Thanks everyone for listening. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can find more resources and upcoming events, learn about getting involved through partnership, and donate so we can keep offering content like this and engage more people and churches around the world. We'd also love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and feedback. You can drop us a message on social media or email us at connect at jesuscollective.com. Until next time.